You better mean that when you say that. Amen. Amen. The motto in the paratroopers was all the way. And then when we met an officer on base, and he would, uh, we would salute, and he would say, how far? And our response was, all the way and then some, sir. We were able to make a statement like that concerning a military unit. And who could possibly deserve that kind of dedication more than Jesus Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, praise the Lord. That was good message. Good preaching. I'm going to use that in a second. Uh, some things I want to comment on. First of all, thank you. Uh, when we came to this church, I was telling these men at lunch today, uh, we just asked God what to do. I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it, trying to figure it out. I did spend a lot of time asking God what he would have us to do. And he spoke to my wife as well, and we, uh, we didn't uh, visit. We only came one place, and it was we had it right. This is where God told us to come, and, and you guys confirmed it by the way we were received. So I want to thank you for that. I want you to know that that's no small thing. Amen? So, and never really, uh, you know, you guys are established, and you have your preachers, and you have your friends and all that, and we just came here to have a home church where there's no pressure to try to have, you understand, I don't know if you can understand but uh, that's a blessing, too. And I'm not going to say has been. I, that's going to continue to be a blessing. Uh, we're honored to be members of Anchor Baptist Church. And I never, you know, thank you for letting me preach a few times in, this year. That's a blessing. Um, didn't come here for that. Got plenty of places to preach. But, uh, but uh, you know, preacher wants to preach. But I didn't see... This I didn't see getting a preach to you for a meeting. I didn't expect that, and it's a privilege. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your kindness and generosity to us, and uh, we really appreciate it. Amen. A couple things uh, Brother Cliff mentioned. He talked about a wolf dog. Now, I've never heard that expression before. I get it. I see it. I know exactly what he's talking about. I know exactly the crowd that he was warning about. Them fellas out of Arizona. And uh, they ain't the only ones. But uh, uh, I, I like that. Uh, you know, as a, an evangelist, you know, I've referred to myself as a sheepdog. I've heard that before. And that's like this, because a pastor is a, a shepherd, and a shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep, and y'all are the sheep, and I'm one of them too. But I've had the uh, I've had the uh, exciting career for 12, 26 years now of of being a sheepdog. So what what do you mean? What's that? Well, a sheepdog assists the pastor. <laughs> Amen. He's not the pastor. Uh, he does what the pastors told him to do. And that's what we do week after week. We go to church. We don't go with an agenda. We go to serve. Amen. And a sheepdog, in a real scenario, a flock of sheep will 
will, will do two things for the shepherd. He'll, he'll run around and, and kind of help keep them sheep in line. And the sheepdog will bark and growl. And uh, if he's got to scare the sheep back into the flock, he will. And that's one of the more fun parts of the job. But I'll tell you this about a sheepdog. A sheepdog will never, ever, ever hurt a sheep. Might scare them. Might uh, get back there at their heels, but it never take a bite. Because as soon as a sheepdog hurts a sheep, that shepherd will get rid of them. Because that shepherd's heart is with them sheep. So, uh, and another thing that the sheepdog does is help keep the wolves away. And that's part of our job. But, of course, like Brother Cliff said, we're not always there. And uh, you're going to have to tune your spirit. And the best way you're ever going to do that is to be sensitive to what your pastor sees and does and leads. I was at, I was at uh, Shady Acres Baptist Church one time, and uh, it was a big meeting, and Brother Farley was up on the platform, and some, some kook walked in the back door. And, he, you know, churches attract kooks. And sometimes they just need to get saved. And sometimes they just want a place to be kooky. And you got to figure it out. And I watched, I spotted the guy. Yeah, I can, you know, that's what I'm good at. But uh, I watched the pastor up there. And that pastor's watching him. And Brother Farley is an amazing man of God himself anyway. And uh, he looked over to this side, back in the corner. And he looked at a man that was tuned to him. And he looked over there. And he looked at them, and then he looked at that guy, and he went like that. And I watched these two guys come and escort that guy right out the back door. Amen. Amen. They're looking out. They're trusted by the shepherd. Yeah. Amen. They can be relied on to help out. When I was a young Christian, we had a wolf. I didn't know any of the terminology. I didn't know what it was. Uh, but uh, we had a wolf. And I was in Bible Institute then, like I say, just stay off the street. And, uh, and I was reading my Bible, and he was causing problems, and I didn't like him because I'm a loyal guy, probably uh, uh, to a fault. But uh, I, I didn't like some of the things he said to my pastor at the time. And I'm reading through my Bible, and I went to Brother Step one day, and I said, Preacher, I can help you with this problem. He said, What, David? And I said, I was reading over in my Bible over there in Romans chapter 16, and I read where it says, Mark them which cause division. <laughs> and I said, Just want to let you know, I got a lot of experience at this. And uh, I can mark that guy, and for about every four days, he'll wake up, and when he looks at himself in the mirror, he's going to remember he did the wrong thing. That's the way we dealt with things in the old days. I wondered if that wouldn't help straighten out the body of Christ, you know, but I guess not. But he said, no, 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 David, don't, don't do that. Amen. I'll just be content to be a sheepdog. And I got, I'm like Brother Cliff in this way, too. I got nothing else to do. Uh, I, I don't have a skill. I don't have anything to fall back on. I got saved. Glad I was almost 38. And, uh, but I did. I did uh, when I went into evangelism seven years later, I told my mother, I said, Mom, I believe this is what God wants. And she is thrilled about that. And I said, and when I'm going to do this, as long as the Lord will let me. And then when I retire, 
And she said, hold on, David. Now, I'm Irish. My mom was very Irish. I'm only half. She was all Irish. And, uh, and she said, David, you took your retirement first. I mean, it's like you didn't settle down and start working until you were 38. She said, you are going to have to work until you die. That's what she prophesied. And she's, I mean, everything I think back on that she ever said, she was right. So I guess she's probably right on that. Besides, uh, we don't have much of a retirement program in place. The only thing I can think of would be a, be a greeter at Walmart. And I, I just can't see that working out too well. It'd be like, welcome to Walmart. Can I give you something to read? <laughs> Hey, man, I can see it. That lasts in about one day. Hey Amen. I hope the Lord comes back before I got to worry about a lot of the things that may have to worry about, but I sure am having a good time serving the Lord. And again, I am honored to be a member of this church. Thank you. Take your Bible tonight and go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Joshua Napier, if you're here, I'm going to need you up here uh, by the front. Uh, tonight, and uh, I'm going to get a couple other young men too, but, uh, but uh, I'm going to put you to work. Now, I'm not going to pay you as good as I do when you come to my house, but you're going to do this for the Lord. And uh, I'd like you to take this. It'll help me stretch this thing out. Right there, it's a stretcher, so you'll figure it out. Right there in the aisle, right in front of this. While we read uh, Mark chapter 2 and verse number 1, and the Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, thank you, God, for manifesting yourself, and I pray, God, you wouldn't uh, let me say anything that might make you uh, displeased, run you off. Help it just finish, Lord God, in your perfect will. And if there's somebody in here that's not saved, I pray, God, you'd make it easy for them to understand that, uh, like has been said often this week, this is not a game, uh, but it's a good place to be, part of your family, part of your will. Pray, God, maybe you'd save a soul tonight because, or in the near future because of seed that has been sown. Help me to preach, and just again, thank you for Jesus Christ, and I pray it in his precious and almighty name, amen and amen, all right? Okay, so it said there in verse 1 that uh, uh, it was noised that he was in the house, and, and news of the Lord's whereabouts traveled fast, amen. His fame uh, preceded him. I mean, this is before social media, even, amen, when, uh, and it was, uh, he's in Capernaum now, and it didn't take long, and, uh, and it, it did just, his presence there did exactly what it wanted it to do, it brought a crowd, and he took the opportunity to preach to them, amen, it's in there verse two that he preached the word unto them, I, I noticed here, getting ready to come up here, uh, there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. I was in a meeting in uh, La Laguna, Mexico, I mean, 30 years ago. I'd only been saved like two years, and I was down there. They had me down there preaching at a camp meeting. We're visiting some churches, 
and uh, that Brother Gomez had started. And we were out there where they were baptizing in the, I guess it was the Gulf of Mexico, and we were meeting in a little church, and, uh, and there were, the church house was full, and there were people all around the outside of the church, and I mean, every window, all you could see was heads. I ain't seen it like that. Uh, I, I maybe never in America. Uh, I'm sure Clifton, uh, Miss Clinton have been in places overseas where people are still that excited about God. Would you God? We'd get that excited about God. We'd just write it off to last days and remnant. I'll tell you what, God is no less exciting to me as, than he was when I first met him. As a matter of fact, the more I learn about him, the better it gets. And the more I learn about me, the better he gets. All right, so uh, people came from near and far uh, to see Jesus Christ, to hear Jesus Christ, and it came for a variety of reasons. One of them would be just plain old-fashioned curiosity. Amen. Uh, uh, what would he do next? He was doing things that nobody had ever heard of uh, being done before. A good example would be a list there in Matthew 11, verse 15, or no, 5, <coughs> 11, 5. And it says, the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Amen. Uh, nobody else had been doing that. And uh, uh, the, mo the biggest deal of all those miracles was that gospel because all the people that ever got healed eventually died. But the people that got in on the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ are going to live forever. Are you saved in here tonight? I mean, there's some controversy over, uh, over uh, whether or not you can lose your salvation. And, and I'm no scholar, and, and I don't pretend to be. Uh, so I'm like Brother Taylor. I got a, I got a dictionary and where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I said, I want to know what, uh, what that means. And I looked up uh, everlasting, and, and it means everlasting. <laughs> Verse 15 right there in John 3 says eternal life. Amen. How do you lose something that's eternal and everlasting? Amen. And you get that. You get the good news of the gospel that tells you what Christ did for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Amen. Personally, one of my favorite things that he did, and it wasn't on this list, but I mean, I don't know if I mentioned it, but that maniac Gadara is one of my favorite Bible characters. And the Lord cast the devil out. I remember when he cast the devil out of me. Amen. I ain't never been the same. Some were there out of curiosity. Some were there because they'd heard of what he'd done. And they brought uh, uh, friends, relatives that came themselves uh, to get in on, perhaps get in on the healing. And some came for all the wrong reasons, just like some come to church for the wrong reason. Uh, now they watch it from home. Good, stay home. Amen. I like this. Uh, some came just to find fault in verse 6 there in Mark chapter 2. It said, but there was in verse, Mark, what did I say? Mark 2, verse 6. Yeah. Uh, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? They didn't come to get a blessing. And uh, there was people like that everywhere Jesus preached. And there were people like that everywhere John the Baptist preached. And there's people like that everywhere we preach. Yeah. Amen. 
And, uh, but they were there, and good news is that seed gets sown. I tell you what, sometimes, sometimes uh, the joke is on you. You got a bad spirit, and yeah, you submit yourself to the preaching of the Word of God, even for the wrong reason. Uh, you never know what God might do with that thing. Amen. Uh, the lights might just come on. I hope they do. I hope they do. And so uh, at verse 3, now look at verse 3. Now we're in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 3. And they come unto him, uh, bringing one sick of the palsy. Now there's somebody being brought to Jesus to get in on the healing that they'd heard he was doing. It says, which was born of four. And verse 4 uh, says this, and, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, uh, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And verse 5 says, And when Jesus saw their faith, uh, he said unto the sick of the palsy, uh, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Amen. This guy's sick of the palsy. Now what that means is that uh, it's a loss of voluntary muscular motion. I cut it down to... Not for your sake, but just to fit my notes. Uh, or paralysis. So this guy's got an ambulatory issue. And that's why he's being brought to Jesus. Amen. I, uh, the Bible refers to it as his bed. Amen. And it took four men to get him there. And they couldn't get him there. And he was because of the press. And he was sick of the palsy. Now, I had something called Bell's palsy. Amen. And maybe you're familiar with that. That seems to be a little more common. And I, before I got arrested, a month before I got arrested in October 1990, uh, I woke up one morning early in October, and uh, my teeth felt like when you come out of the dentist, like you'd had a shot of Novocaine, then it was wearing off. It wasn't, it was, it wasn't uh, like full-blown dead, but it was that tingly thing like that. And that was that, and I thought, wow, that's really... While I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing with dope and things like that, I figured it'd wear off. It didn't wear off. It didn't wear off. And I ended up uh, uh, getting arrested and still had that thing going on. And, and what happens when you get Bell's palsy, your eyeball, side of your face gets paralyzed. What it turned out to be was a pinched cranial nerve. And, uh, and go back to physiology class. Remember, you got 12 cranial nerves. And I had a cranial nerve that was pinched for some reason, and it paralyzed the right side of my face. My right eye was stuck wide open like this, and my face drooped down like that real bad. And, uh, and, uh, and it, was, it was really something. It was interesting to go through. Uh, I'd take a drink of something, and it'd just pour out the other side. I didn't even know it. And uh, I had that when I got saved and came into church, as a matter of fact, first couple months. And I'd be talking and bite the side of my lip, inside of my lip, and it'd be bleeding and blood would be dripping out. This is the guy that I'm talking about right now that they welcome. Forget the ponytail. I mean, I got this wild eye and this drooping face and blood running out. I'm glad to be saved, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's a guy. Amen. It meant something to me the way I was received at charity. Amen. And, uh, and uh, when I got jailed, I had that going on. It was kind of a help because, 
You know, I was a little scarier looking than normal. I had that eye open and, you know, blood, and it kind of looked like Quasimodo. How many have any idea who that is? All right, the rest of you can Google it, okay? Uh, that's a hunchback of Notre Dame. It came in handy, you know, first early days in jail to let people know you don't want to mess with that biker that's in here. He's looking, he's not only mad and mean, he's looking really possessed. Uh, amen. And I had that thing, and, uh, and uh, I, go, I went to the infirmary. They couldn't do nothing about it. And then I got saved. I got saved uh, after being in there about a month and, uh, and uh, I went to the doctor again, and they gave me an appointment to get an MRI. And I wasn't a real easy guy to deal with for the marshals when I got arrested or any time they brought me over to court. I mean, uh, they, they double-teamed me. They, uh, I don't know what they were so worried about, but they shackled me, you know, as much as you could be, and, and, uh, and I didn't care. And, uh, but I got this appointment to get this MRI over at Miami Valley Hospital from the jail downtown. And it was my first time I'd been out of that jail in about five or six weeks. So, hey, man, it was good. It turned winter while I was in there. And, and uh, I am shackled, belly band, and shackled like this, and leg shackles. And I got four marshals. And, uh, and, uh, and they were used to the guy. See, they didn't understand. I'm newly saved. I didn't really understand it either. But I'm not mad at anybody anymore. Amen. But they were still a little scared. It was kind of fun. And, uh, and, uh, and I get to Miami Valley Hospital, and they have called out the security force at the hospital. And, like, there's, like, six men, and everybody's acting real nervous. I don't know what they thought, you know, that I was going to get rescued by the old team or something. Hey, man, they had moved on. You know, your old crowd's going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> you, are, you weren't as important to them as you thought. Amen. And uh, so I'm going through the hospital, escorted, man. I got a fire team around me. And we get back to the MRI. And I didn't know what MRI was. I never, I never even heard of it. But some of you know they put you in a tube, kind of like a coffin. That's the closest I've ever been to being in a coffin. And then they, uh, they play this, this thing, this... Uh, this, it's a magnetic field thing, and it's thumping, and they put a little, they give you a little button, and, uh, and, uh, and if you start freaking out, they say, if you freak out, push that button. As soon as somebody said that to me, I would have died in there before I'd have freaked out, just because they wouldn't be able to say I wimped out. Amen. And it wasn't no big deal. I'd spent so many times at bars listening to music vibrating off the walls. I didn't care nothing about that. But the reason I bring this story up is this. When you get into MRI, some of you know, you go in there, you can't have no metal. I mean, it's big, powerful magnets. And these guys are so nervous. I look at the hospital security and I'd shake my, they'd all just jump back. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. And there's a big sign on the wall in the MRI room. MRI room says, you must remove all jewelry. And that's what we used to call these bracelets, you know. And I'm shaking them. I said, come on, man, you got to take them off. And I mean, they were nervous. They were worried. I newly saved. I ain't going to do nothing, but I was living it up. <laughs> Amen. They figured out what it was, and, uh, and, 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 and I got some steroids. And I don't know, it took about six months, and it went away. This guy did not have Bell's palsy. He didn't have... Uh, 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 the side of his face 
His, he can't walk. He can't. I don't know how bad off he was, but I know what the Bible says. He was born of four. He was carried uh, to a place uh, he couldn't get to without a lot of help. And he had some help. And the Bible doesn't tell us who they are, but it says four men. Four men. It said he was born of four. And he was carried to where Jesus was. And it doesn't say whether they are friends or relatives. Doesn't say any of that. But I tell you what we see from the passage. We see that uh, they were willing to help him out. And they didn't, they weren't quitters. Uh, they didn't get to the place at, like Zacchaeus. You know what I respect about Zacchaeus? He didn't get to where Jesus was coming through. And it was so crowded. He didn't do like some Christians do, and he didn't say, well, it's crowded, it's busy, I'll come back another day. And if he would have done that, Jesus never went to Jericho again. And these guys here didn't get to this place where this is it's packed, and there's no room even around the doors, and Jesus Christ is inside, and they don't know what he's doing, they can't hear what he's saying, and they looked, and they didn't quit, and I appreciate that about them, and they looked, and they figured it out, and back then, to get on the roof of a house back then, the stairway was on the outside of the building, and they carried this guy, four guys, on his bed. And they got him up on the roof. And once they got up there, well, there's no, you know, you know, skylights in the roof. And they took them tiles apart one by one, make a big old hole in somebody's house. And they lowered him down to the presence of Jesus Christ. And then you know what they did? They just, they lowered him and they threw the ropes right in with him. Say, so how do you know? Well, it doesn't say that, but, but I'll tell you what it does say. If I get on the right page here, it says, it says, uh, it says, oh, it says something. It says, uh, it says in verse five, it says, when Jesus saw their faith. Well, what was their faith? Because they were four strong men that got him up on the roof. They made the hole. Jesus saw, he saw their faith before he ever said a word to that guy. And they, I believe, I believe, I'll say it, I'll clarify like that. They threw the ropes in because they knew they weren't going to need him. They weren't a million years thinking about, okay, when Jesus heals him, we'll lift him back up and carry him out. They brought, I don't know where they went, but I know where that guy went. Jesus said, take up thy bed and walk. He is born of four. Amen. Now let me get back and see if I can figure this thing out. And, uh, and uh, this miracle was accomplished, and this is really the point of the message, because you got four men, obviously, willing uh, to work together. Amen. Now, the way that would work, and I need some volunteers. Now, a couple young men, why don't you just come on? Leave, where's Levi? He's not here. And uh, Adam, you can come. You're young. You're young, and Travis, don't be trying to dodge because you might as well come too. And I got Joshua, now that's three. Now, now I need another young man. We got another young man in here? We got somebody? Yes, Randall, would you please lay on the, lay on. All right, that's good. All right, now we got, hey, we got the four. All right? Now I need, I needed somebody, Andrew. Elliot, to represent, come on, we, I need somebody, you don't need, are you kidding, come on, I am preaching, 
man, that's, see how young preachers, they, oh, 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 yeah, you're going to be used of God, but you're going to lay down right here in front of everybody, lay down on that, on that, no, you don't have to strap yourself in unless you'd feel better. <laughs> that guy from Idaho, they got him in a suicide prevention vest. Yeah, I read the headline. I said, they just called him straight jackets where I come from. Amen. So here, Brother Andrew, he would wave to you, but he's paralyzed, so he can't. And then I want you four men to pick that thing up. And now there's handles there. And I want you to pick him up because that's how they would. And I want you to walk back by the baptistry. Go on and walk on down there. You got four strong men. Now, y'all take a look at this. I didn't have them move the pulpit to make it easier for you guys. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when you've got a man that isn't ambulatory. Back in them days, now you turn around and come on back. Come on back. And you get a cupcake. We got cupcakes left over. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and this is how you got people to where they needed to go. And this is what the Bible said. Now, I want to, I want to express, I want to emphasize the word gently. <laughs> gently lower. But because when this is meeting's over and I'm long gone, you're going to have to put up with him. So don't drop him on his head like his mother did many years ago. All right. All right, now don't, no, 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 please stay. Please stay. Now I want to just, now that you got a visual. You got a visual, right? I mean, listen, I went online. I found an army stretcher. I wanted to do this with an army stretcher, old canvas World War II stretcher, and I found one, and I was going to go get it last week. It was $30, and I said, that would be nothing for an illustration. And uh, then I reread the passage, and it says that when Jesus said, take up your bed, and this guy wasn't carried in on a stretcher. He wasn't brought in on a gurney. He was brought in perhaps on a blanket, rolled up with four guys that didn't have nice ergonomic. I don't even know what that means. But the ad said this, nice handles and everything. Amen. Uh, uh, they just grabbed that blanket and uh, carried him, carried him up there. Amen. And I, what I want you to see now, what I've tried to emphasize is the importance of this miracle had to do, according to the Bible, four men, born of four, four men working together. I want you to think about this church. I'll try uh, uh, not to keep you too long. There, in the scenario, there's two men on a stretcher There'd be two men in front, depending on which way they were going. Of course, Andrew got on the thing backwards, but he can't help it. And, uh, and you had two men in front. In this case, it was Brother uh, Joshua and Brother Randall, right? And two men in the back, and all of them were basically doing the same thing, but they all four weren't in the front. And if they said, all right, let's get this guy to Jesus, uh, and then all four guys tried to grab the front handle. It doesn't get done when, when there's no, when there's no uh, cooperation, when everybody has to be in the front. When I think we ought to do it this way. No, again, let me emphasize the word, working together. Now, in this case, four men working together. And, uh, and uh, so they, you know, they'd argued about who was going to lead. Jesus might have moved on. I don't know. But think about it. What if this guy would have been born of three? All right, so uh, Adam, you sit out. 
Back up. Randall and Joshua, you grab them front handle. Travis, you're stocky fella. You got, grab that handle down there by his head. This is a 10-handle portable stretcher, and it's for sale right after this message. <laughs> now, yeah. Now, you, now, let's say, what if it was born of three? All right, now walk down there just a couple feet, because I don't want you to have a heart attack. All right, all right, now stop and bring him back. Now, you can see that if it was born of, if, it, if he would have been born of three, gently, gently, I don't want to be sued, it could be done. Right? Now, now, just be honest, Travis, and don't let your pride cause you to say something that I'm not going to like. Um, was that easier, or was it easier when there were four? Four. Four. Okay, good answer. Good answer. Right? Okay? And now, okay, so it could be done if there was three working together. All right? What if there was two? So I told you you shouldn't have laid with your head backwards. So men, you grab those handles and drag him down the, down the aisle a little bit, not too far. Go ahead, go ahead. I mean, try to picture if he was born of two. All right? No, yeah. Okay, do it any way you want. Do not hurt yourself. All right, that's enough, that's enough. Okay, bring him back gently. I really wanted to see it just grab the end and drag him, but amen. Now, give me an honest answer. What was easier, with four or three or that way? Four. four was easier. Let me ask the patient. What was easier for you? What was the better ride? Good answer. <laughs> Is this a Baptist church? I haven't had this much cooperation in years. <laughs> Amen. All right, we're almost done with them, almost. But let's take it a step farther. Now, let's say if there would have been three, could they have got him up on the roof? You guys could have done it. Could two of you got him up on the roof? Yeah, probably. It would have been a lot harder then, especially for him. But what if there's one? What if he only had one friend? What if he only had one person that cared enough about his soul to get him to where the Lord was? Um, you, let's let you give it a try, Randall. Uh, figure it out, son. Uh, just grab that handle on the end and drag it. Do whatever you got to do. Pretend this is facing the giants. You got that guy on your back. Okay, okay, that's enough. I should have never called on him because he could do it. Amen. All right, drag him back, man. All four of you, drag him back. Just drag him back and leave my little. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> There were no rocks down there, I hope. All right, let me see if I'm done with you. Amen. Now, definitely, definitely, uh, let's say even if one guy, even Brother Randall, got him to the staircase and, you know, drug him up the stairs, you could have thrown him over your shoulder, maybe, but it would have been harder. The point I'm trying to make, and the point the Bible makes, is that this thing was accomplished because four people were working together. Right? All right, thank you, men. You stay there, Andrew. <laughs> I don't know what possessed me to say that. Thank you, brother. You can go. Amen. <laughs> Leave the stretcher. Don't put it on marketplace. Amen. All right. Uh, uh, so the whole deal has to do, the whole message has to do, I'm trying to encourage this church, uh, concerning the importance of everybody working together. I heard somewhere statistic, and I don't, uh, my daughter once said, Dad, did you know that 90% of, uh, uh, of statistics are made up spontaneously? And I'm going, 
what? You know, because that would be a statistic. What I'm saying is this. I heard somebody once say that 90% of the work and the giving, and if it's not 90, it might be 80, but I'm not a pastor, never have been. But uh, it seems like a large percent of the work, the people that a pastor knows he can count on. And I'm not saying who he could call, you know, probably. But if they say, hey, we need a little help on Saturday, he knows pretty much who's going to show, if they can and who's not. And knows who he can count on when they, you need some ex talking about giving. And you know, it ought not be that way. And the Bible principle is this, is that if everybody would do a little... It'd be a lot easier to get the job done. We're talking about the importance of unity. I want to leave this meeting, leave this message with you as you launch into 2023. And you got a lot of things together. That's for sure. Uh, amen. That, and I sense it, uh, whether you do or not. But uh, I'm going to tell you what. Unity is what the devil hates. That's what he attacks. Whether it's in a home, or in a marriage, in a church, that's what he wants. He wants to disrupt unity because that's where our strength is. I've never heard a message about out of John 17, like Brother Rue did on Sunday morning, that emphasized the importance of unity by repeatedly, he made the comparison, but it's in the passage how often Jesus said that talking to believers that he would to God that you, you, each other were like me and him. And I'm looking at that page and going, wait a minute, him and him are one. And he says that to those disciples about four times in that passage. And it says in John 13, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, remember? Even as I have loved you, that you have loved one to another. And then he says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Amen. If you have loved one to another. And that's the difference between the church of Jesus Christ and every other organization in the world. Uh, we are brothers and sisters, and not just for the sake of fun and family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ and for Christ. And if we're going to do anything for Christ in 2023, uh, it's going to have to get closer Nothing will speak louder to a lost and dying world than Christians that are really walking. That's what he said. By this shall all men know. Nothing will speak louder than that. No program, no broadcast, no, nothing will speak louder at your workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood, at your family reunion. Nothing will speak louder than some sold out believers who are faithful, love one another, going out of their way. It says in Galatians 6, uh, uh, bear ye one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. In 1995, when Brother Hanstein was announced that it, when it was announced that he had Lou Gehrig's disease, and I'm like just brand new Christian, I've been saved about five years, and I mean, you could feel, you guys were there, you could feel the oxygen come out of that building that night. And some of you have known him for years. And as a new Christian, a Bible Institute student and doing federal probation, which was not a big deal, it's easy to do right if you're saved and want to do right. I mean, those systems, probation and, 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 and probation and, and parole, things like that. I mean, they have a recidivism rate off the chart because you can't do it. And I told my PO, I said, I'm not worried about anything on this stipulation. I'm a Christian. And they're looking at me like I fell out of a tree. 
Amen. But I'm soaking it all up. And I watched a little church uh, uh, just not far from here rally around a family in such a way that I saw the law of Christ, John 13, love one another. I saw that thing before my very eyes. I mean, I've read about it. I've heard about it. I, as a new Christian, God put me in a place where I saw it. And that's, well, the devil hated it. That's another message. But that's what you got an opportunity to be part of here. Not for your own glory, amen, for the, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Yes, obviously, but even beyond that, it is for the sake of getting the gospel to other people that Jesus Christ died for, just like you. We're talking about four, born of four, and working together, and I just want to emphasize unity, amen. We live in a world Today, everybody would amen this. That is, is sick. Amen. Sick of the palsy. Paralyzed by, by sin and, and by fear and by lies and by doubt. And then false hope. Somebody comes along. And uh, there ain't no freedom in false hope because the Bible said you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. So all that phony baloney coming out of Phoenix and every other Cult, uh, you can latch on to whatever you want, but there's nothing. The peace doesn't come with it. The freedom doesn't come with it. The truth will make you free. It made me free. Amen. So this world needs us, beloved. It needs us to work together in spite of obstacles, in spite of hardships, in spite of sacrifice, in spite of our differences of opinion. We need to work together to get this world to Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord says, man, he knows, you know, he knows from the foundation of the world. These guys, even if they get saved, they're going to be a mess. How am I going to get the message? How am I going to use people to get the message uh, uh, to, to a lost and dying world when left to themselves? They can't get along with themselves. And, uh, and he says this in Matthew 16. He come up with this. He said, upon this rock. I will build my church. And that's what you and I got to get in on. The church of the living God, the, the pillar and ground of the truth. And we've got a commission, and I just want to encourage you in this year to come to take that more seriously than you've ever taken, taken it before. And you know what? The ground of the, maybe the first step for things like that is to figure out a way to make amends as necessary with whoever necessary. Because let's face it, you could be at aught with somebody, but at the end of the day, you're still brother in Christ. Amen? And let's just get past ourselves and do something for God. Amen. And I know that's easier said than done. I mean, I've been at this thing 32 years. I've had to learn some things the hard way. I've had to humble myself uh, more than a few times. And, uh, and man, you know, it's like getting saved. You're so glad you got it straightened out once you got it straightened out. And you think, just like getting saved, you think, why did I wait so long? Well, I'm going to tell you why you wait so long. It's that stinking flesh. It's that stinking pride. Amen. We need to work together, band together, serve together, love God together. Just figure out how to do something together with God. He doesn't call loose cannons. I, I, I'm envious of people that have this kind of church scenario. I had it. 
God called me out of it. I surrendered. I did what we've been singing about, and I surrendered. And God called me out of it. And I, don't get me wrong. I'm having the time of my life because every week we're in a little place just like this. There's others. But how do we enjoy the time that God has led us? We've actually been uh, back here, home, uh, more this year than we have in a long time, a couple months at a time. And uh, God did that so that you could get to know us. Amen. Because we're not wolves. We're not sheep stealers. We're, not, we're just, just sold out believers. And that have to be in that crowd. Because we know the dangers of getting out of it. And we know folks that have gotten out of it. And we know folks that have gotten out that were wrong and let their emotions or whatever. And then their stinking pride kept them from ever coming back and saying, look, man, I'm sorry. Let's just go on. And it will. Amen. It's 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 a rare thing when people will just come clean and say, I was wrong. And boy, does God love that. Talking about working together, I'm not even sure how far I want to go here, but let me just say real quick, I got a long introduction and a little three-point message. Can I give you a three-point message? It's important that we work together in the home. A church is only as strong as its homes, and uh, it's important, and husbands and wives need to work together. I don't get to do a lot of counseling. Most of my counseling consists of three words. Get a grip. And sometimes there's four. Because sometimes I say, get a stinking grip. (laughs) My wife rolls her eyes. She goes, you're not supposed to say that. Amen. But that's just me. And uh, I don't have the burden that a pastor has. And amen. uh, To sit and listen before. And he's thinking it. He's just not. No, he's probably not. I don't want to do that. Amen. I don't get to do a lot of Counseling. But I got a bunch of kids and they got married and I've got a chance to say something to them during the course of their lives. And I've said this to a couple of them. You need to go home and watch that DVD that they made that day you made vows to God Amen. concerning each other. You need to go home, let, send your kids to grandma's house and go home and watch that thing. Because while you were all full of each other, uh, uh, you were talking. You are talking to God and making vows that are serious, aren't they? The Bible says some serious. It's better not to vow. Amen. And, you know, I don't know if it ever worked, but uh, I'm I'm telling you that here tonight, that if a family's going to function, if you're ever going to raise a child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, if you're ever going to train up a child in the way he should go, you have to be going in the way you should go. Amen. That's deep, ain't it? Amen. Amen. That's right, boy, where the kids can get them. Amen. All right, so we're talking about, there's a verse that, uh, that it's written to a local church and it's been mentioned this week a couple times. And I love it. God gave it to me when I was doing a marriage conference. Can you believe, they made me a Sunday school teacher. They asked me to preach a marriage conference. Me and her, I asked her to tell me what to say. Let nothing. You know, do you need to look that word up? <laughs> but I was right. It says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Nothing. Now, that's written to believers, new believers in a church. It was written to the church at Philippi. 
but I used it in a, in a home scenario. How much more does it apply there? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. See, that's a problem. Amen. We get high-minded. You spend too much time on Facebook or whatever it is. You get spend too much time uh, listening to all this, uh, the, just that stuff of the age. And you start thinking that being right, bless God, I'm right. You think that's the most important thing. When you got a Bible, you claim to believe the Bible, and you got a Bible that says, why, why don't you just suffer to be defrauded? Amen. Paraphrase. Amen. Yeah. No, the most important thing isn't being right. The most important thing is to be right with God. And he said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Well, the pastor would have a heart attack. So he says, oh, we need marriage counseling. And he's like going, okay, I prayed up. Uh, tell me what's going on. Sir, what's going on? My wife is so nice. And every time I make a suggestion, she says, that'd be great, honey. And I'll just fall into the end of the earth. And the pastor's going, <coughs> and he looks over to the wife. He says, well, ma'am, uh, what's your side? It's, oh, our marriage is, it's just so good. It's going so great. I mean, my husband, he's accommodating. That's esteeming others better than yourself. What a model. You let me know if that ever happens. Amen. And all the people that do have a, a, a marriage like that, they're not going to be in the pastor's office at all. They're going to be out there saying, what can I do? Where's the list to sign up? You need somebody in the nursery? You need somebody clean the church? You need some food? Amen. Which you guys do a great job. Amen. Amen. We need unity. And unity isn't about, you know, super soldiers. Unity is about working together. This guy was born of four in the church. He said in 1 Timothy 3 and 15, but if I tarry long that thou mightest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. <laughs> you mean that doesn't come natural? Does it? <clears throat> behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. For the local church to be anything more than a social organization it requires people working together for a common goal, just like those four men. Amen? And uh, it means to get working together to get people to Jesus Christ. Amen? If you're doing it right, you get to have some fun along the way. Amen. Jack Wood, the brother uh, Taylor was there when I, uh, I was out of jail three weeks, still had the ponytail and all that. And brother Jack came up to me and he said, what's your story, son? <laughs> I don't know how he spotted me. <laughs> And I've been told about him. I rode down to that meeting with Tom Combs and Dr. Estep. And, uh, and they said, there's an old Texan down there. Come from rough side of tracks. And uh, they told him about me and vice versa. And he came up to me and he said, uh, said what's your story? I said, got saved in jail, Brother Jack. And uh, probably said that. I don't know what I, Reverend, no, I don't know what I said. Um, and my preacher brought me down here to learn how to be a Christian. Amen. He said, uh, let me give you some help. And I said, all right. He said two things. He said, no matter what anybody tells you, you can make it. And here I am like the fish out of the water. And I ran into some skeptics that day before that week was out and since. But he said, you can make it. That was encouraging. I didn't even know I was going to need that, but I did. Then he said something that I always remembered. He said, don't try to endure Christianity. And I was at that honeymoon stage, we call it, where I just thought all Christians were perfect. And it didn't take long to, for that bubble to be popped. But he knew. 
And he warned me. He said, don't try to endure this thing. Just learn to enjoy it. And I got a hold of that. I got a hold of that. And uh, I just got to say, we've had our ups and downs. It's part of life. The rain falls on who? The just and the unjust alike. But I'm going to tell you what. What a ride it's been. I enjoy my I don't have the character to stick with anything 30 years that I don't like. I just, I'm confessing that to you. Amen. I mean, I don't want to go into that. But uh, God's made it the ride of my life. And it gave me Mrs. Wonderful. People ask her sometimes. They say, were you, did you know him in the club? Are you kidding me? That girl right there, we're the same age. I'm a little older. But, uh, okay, I'm a lot older. And, uh, and uh, sorry. And uh, she, back when I was getting in the bike club, she was a hippie in college. Then she got saved. Amen. She said, I would have never had anything to do with anything like anybody like you. She meant it, too. Her dad said, don't you ever get back on the back of a motorcycle with one of them idiots. That's what her dad said. And she held it that for 45 years. I said, come here. <laughs> I took her down the road up there in Corey, Pennsylvania on a guy's motorcycle. Amen. Now she has a beautiful Harley in her own garage. But she wasn't with me in the old days. She was never a biker, babe. But I'll tell you what she is. She's a Bible, babe. She's my Bible, babe. <laughs> Can I just tell you I'm enjoying the ride? I'm enjoying serving Jesus Christ. I'm enjoying the church of Jesus Christ. Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter 1. He said, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Your conversation, beloved. Uh, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's how this thing works. And last of all, we need to be in unity when it comes to reaching the world. He said, uh, preach, the, go, go, uh, okay, I got to read it now. Why, why did that happen? Uh, go ye into all the world, is that how it goes? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There it is. Amen. So I get a text two nights ago. Uh, uh, two nights ago, Adam sends me a text, and his dog, his dog is sitting somewhere, and there I am on some gigantic screen. Are you sure you don't live at a drive-in theater? Some giant screen on the wall, and I'm standing behind a pulpit, and here's this dog, and it's looking, and he said, "Brother Spurgeon, my dog watched the message tonight. I think he got saved." <laughs> and I thought, man. Then I realized Jesse is not in the room. The dog was watching. Then I realized maybe she's the one that took the picture. I'm not sure. But it said, go and preach the gospel. And Travis said, Brother Spurgeon, you fulfilled the commission. You preached to that dog. Okay. I, I know it's late. Just lighten up. I'll be done in about a half hour. Amen. And so we're talking about reaching the world with the gospel. And, and, and let's face it, we can't do that individually. We can't do that on our own. We're not going to be able to go. But working together is a different story. I mean, look at the letters. Amen. Look at the missionaries that get to come through here. Look at their letters that, that we read every week. And so we can pray for people that are going where we're not going, where we can't go, where we haven't been called to go. And according to a great message I heard this week about being laborers together. Okay, I apologize for that. Um, we can be in on what they're doing. 
Amen? These guys are so sleepy, they didn't even catch that. Amen. I had a precious saying to God, say, uh, elderly lady, about 70. Ooh, that's scary. She said, Brother Spurgeon, we'd like to help you more. Um, I'd like to help you more, but all I can do is pray for you. <laughs> I thought to myself, nobody can do more for us or them or this church than to pray for it, than to get hold of the throne of grace. Amen? And we've got a responsibility to do that for the people that are, uh, uh, well, our pastors, our, our people of our church, but on the people on the field, people that have answered the call of Isaiah chapter 5 where he said, who will go for us? And we've got a bunch of people that stepped up to the plate, and I'm not trying to say, uh, I'm, not, I'm like Brother Cliff, I'm not calling anybody anywhere, but I tell you, I've got a lot of respect for people that uh, pray and ask God what to do, and they said, here am I, Amen. send me. And he don't call everybody to do that. Right. He calls everybody to do something. Right. Amen. And if it's to be the head of your home, you better do it for the glory of God. And if it's to be a wife, then you better be a good one and a good mother, and I'm not going to give you a, a lesson on the home. I'm going to tell you, you better read that book. And uh, maybe you're not a big reader. Maybe you're like me. I'll tell you what you do. You come to this church, and you'll hear it given to you straight across the plate. That's what I needed. That's what you need. We need to work together. Amen. This guy was born of four, and it was easier. You saw the illustration when everybody was working together, wasn't it? All right, so let me just close with this quote. This is a quote by William Booth, and he's the guy who started uh, Salvation Army 120-some years ago. And, uh, and he said this one time over in England. He said, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear the Lord Jesus Christ bid you go and pull sinners from the fires of hell. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters not to come there. You do that. Then you look Jesus Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether or not you will join heart and soul in his march to publish his gospel, his mercy to a lost and dying world. And according to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, that starts in Jerusalem before it ever gets to the uttermost part of the earth. Jack Wood, a big mission-minded preacher, had been mentioned a couple times this week. I heard this. Years ago, if a missionary called, somebody called and said, Brother Jack, I'm on, my, I'm on deputation. And he'd get the name of their church, pastor's phone number, and uh, he said, I'll get back with you. And he wouldn't schedule them. He wouldn't ask him any questions. He'd call the guy's pastor. Yep. And he said, now so-and-so just called me. And uh, that, he's uh, on deputation, and I want to know one thing. What's he doing at home? What's he doing in his church? Because I ain't going to give him the time of day, not money, not a meeting, not a prayer, if he ain't doing nothing in his Jerusalem. Amen. This is where it starts. 
Amen? The gospel goes from here, and it does go from here. Uh, you've got a young man that you support on the mission field that is the nephew of two of the ladies in your church, been there almost 20 years. I want in on that, and I am, and you are too. Amen? Let's stand. Preacher, come on, I'm done. I'm not going to ramble anymore. You got the message. Unity is what time it is. Amen? Thank you, sir. Amen, bro. Appreciate it. Now, the altar's open if you want to come. I'm not going to really have an altar call. We had one a few minutes ago. But, uh, brother, I'm going to tell you, it's been a good week. And uh, 2023 is upon us. I didn't think it was 1989. I did not think 2023 would ever get here. I thought we'd have been gone a long, long time ago. There's no way you can ever tell uh, what God's going to do. But he said, uh, go unto Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. I have a responsibility to reach this world. And I can only do what I can do. And you can only do what you can do. You can't do it all. And what happens to a lot of people is they, they look at other people and say, hey, I want to be like Brother Dave. It was kind of funny today. Brother Joe got to meet Brother Dave many years ago, and he told a story about it, and I'll let him tell that sometime. But it was funny. And uh, you, you, at the moment Joe was there, he couldn't do at that moment what Brother Dave was doing. <clears throat> you know what he is? He's doing what Brother Dave was doing. He's doing that today. It takes time. It just takes time. You got to be, well, they sang that song a little while ago about giving your heart to Jesus. I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm just willing, Lord. I'm willing to do whatever you said do. I'm willing to do it. If you're honest with yourself in your heart and you say, I'm willing to do it, 2023 would be a good year for you. Because he'll show you all kinds of things. I mean, he showed me tons of things. And 43 years, he just showed me time after time after time. Give it to him. Uh, each one of us has stories. All three of the men, the, the, Brother Joe has them. Uh, uh, Chris Rue has them. Cliff has them. Brother Dave has them. I got them. I've watched the Lord do some of the strangest things you ever did. But he's talking about unity. I was on the Ponce and uh, scared to death. You know, I, I preached everything that moved. I fixed everything that was broke. One day, Chaplain Downing, black guy, called me down there. He's a Protestant chaplain. Called me down to his office, me and Claude Harris. And Claude was a senior Christian to me, and he's a black guy too. And, and I thought Downing was working with Claude. And he, we sit in his office, and uh, Chaplain Downing said, uh, he said, he said, Brother Mike, I want you to start a church on our ship. And I'm like, okay, me and Claude will do that, and I'll let Claude preach, and I'll help him. And he's a black guy. And, and Claude goes, no way, man. Uh-uh. He said, he said, Mike, I won't do it. Right in front of the chaplain. And the chaplain said, Mike, will you use, and I'm like, man, if I say no, the Lord's going to smack me in the middle of next week. I said, I've never done this before. Don't know nothing about it. I said, but I'll do it. I said, I'll do it. I'll try. I'll try. I'll try. He said, you believe that Bible's the word of God, don't you? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, is that a King James Bible? I said, yes, sir. He said, okay, we're going to call it the King James Bible Baptist Church Service. That was the only ship in the United States Navy that had a Baptist service on it. And the Baptist service was named King James Bible Baptist Church Service. That's called unity. Me and that chaplain, later on down the road, another guy gave a uh, Wise Mary crying track to the Marine back there. You got to watch the Marines, man. They get all upset when you try to tell them about Jesus. But uh, anyways, he, he gets it to get his captain, his captain, captain. Captain calls, tell me unity? He calls Brother Chaplain. He calls Brother Downing, Dr. Downing, Chaplain Downing up to the bridge. And he calls me up to the bridge with him. He said, you two are in cahoots, man, so you're going to be up there. I'm standing at parade rest on the bridge. 
Can't say a word. I didn't get to say a word. I never say a word. Chaplain Downey was answering everything. Well, he's a coward. Cat uh, was sitting over there on that on his chair over here, and XO was over here. There's about 19, 20 men on that bridge. And I'm sitting there at parade rest. I'll tell you what, it's a ride, man. It's a ride. I never intended none of that stuff to happen. It's just funny. Chaplain goes, Chaplain Downing! And he reads that entire track on that bridge. A captain, full bird 06. I mean, a captain. He'd be a colonel in the, in the army. Yeah. So, I mean, this guy's a full bird, man. And, I mean, he sits there and he starts reading his track. He said, Chaplain Downing, I'm a Catholic. This thing says, I'm going to hell, Chaplain Downing. Is that what? Am I going to hell, Chaplain Downing? Oh, no, Captain, you're not going to hell. You're a good man. And he goes, well, Chaplain Downing says right here. And he read that track from page to page to page to page. I'm sitting there kind of laughing under my, I'm like, yeah, man. I said, you're going to ask me, ask me, ask me. And, I, and he never did ask me. He looked at me, and I had a track rack on the mess decks. And I had all those, I never had anything like that on that mess track rack. I had wise, I never had no wise Mary crime. That's foolishness. I had the greatest story ever told, Holy Joe, uh, uh, this is, was your life. Those are the kind of tracks I had down there. And I couldn't keep that thing full. Chapman told me a thousand men went by that track rack every day. Every day they went by that track rack, three times a day. And I sit there at the chow hall, filling that track rack full of tracks while they were coming down through there, taking them. And the captain said, Petty Officer Elliot, you can't have that rack on the Mestex no more because of that one track. Because somebody got out of step and did something that was wrong and messed up something else that was affecting a thousand men. I, I did, you know, I said, okay, what do I have to do? I said, Chapman down. He said, Mike, you can't have your track rack. I said, okay. So I filled my pocket with chick tracks. People come up and say, hey, you ate more of those tracks? I said, Captain told me I can't hand them out no more. I said, I got some, but I can't hand them out. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know what they did? They went through my pocket, man, like you'd go through a, a look at a dictionary. And they'd, oh, I, I haven't read that one. And pull it out, man. And I'd keep my pocket full of chick tracks. I had them out like that, man. I was so far out of uniform, you couldn't see it. You know what? The Chaplain Downing, a man that didn't believe exactly what I believe, in unity, we affected over 1,000 men. And a lot of them men got saved off that ship. And they got, uh, Dr., uh, you talk about unity, Dr. Sam uh, Gip, Gip, Gip came through here, 2015. I told the story before, I'll tell it again just and I'm done. As he was leaving, he did a three-day meeting as he was leaving. 2015, I left that ship in 1989, last part of 89, 90. Uh, he goes, Elliot, he's mad at me. He goes, Elliot, I'm going to Norfolk, Virginia. I said, yeah, I was there 10 years. He goes, there's three churches I'm going to in Norfolk, Virginia. I said, yep, I know all three of them. And he goes, and he, and he goes, I'm going to this church, this church, and this church. I said, yep, yeah. And I'm feeling bad, man. I'm feeling terrible. I'm down. I'm just depressed. Everything's falling apart. I don't know what to do. I'm like, Lord, you're not talking to me like you used to. I, maybe I should be on a mission field. What, what do you want? What do you want? And, and he goes, there's something really strange about these three churches. I said, yeah, yep, that's true too. I said, they're strange churches. And he goes, no, he goes, it's stranger than that. I said, what do you mean? He goes, they're full of sailors. I said, what do you expect? It's a sailor town, biggest Navy base in the world, man. What's the problem? He goes, Elliot, it's stranger than that. And I never said a word. I just listened to him. He goes, all those churches are full of men off a ship called the USS Ponce. Do you know anybody on the Ponce? Do you ever? I said, well, I kind of heard of that ship. 
And that guy got in his, the Lord said, shut your mouth, shut your mouth. Don't you say a word. And he got in his big old uh, Sam Get bus and drove away. And I sit there and I, the Lord said, now, you did that 25 years ago and it's still going on today. And you got your hide tore off and you got off that ship, but it's still going on today. It had nothing to do with you. You just got an opportunity to do something in unity with somebody else for just a few moments. And I can use that thing 25 years later. That's how important that is. It's not about me. And it wasn't about Brother Chaplain Downey. And it wasn't about anybody. It's about, and the devil tried to stop that thing. And, and the Lord said, no, you're not going to. And he let that thing go. And 25 years later, people were still in those churches in Norfolk, Virginia. And he goes, the only ship anybody ever talks about, is there only one ship in the Navy? No, there's not. You know, the Lord did that. He did that for me and said, Mike, what you did 25 years ago is still working today. He goes, guess what? What you did 24 years ago is doing something too. You just don't know it. And what you did 23 years ago is still going on and you don't know that either. And what you did yesterday, he said, what are you going to do for me tomorrow? You know what? Tomorrow is exciting. Tonight, this week was exciting to me. I know it's, I know you get tired. I know you get busy. You're probably saying, shut up. It's 10 5. Is that clock actually right? These guys preach too long. Well, see, that's what happens when you give them the check early. But, <laughs> brethren, you, we got, you got tomorrow, and know what you need to do is say, Lord, like he was on his altar. Most of y'all was up here. This, this crowd was pretty much all down here. And if you weren't down here, when you get home tonight, you need to say, Lord, like Paul, man, he was killing Christians. Lord knocked him down, and when he got a good dose of Jesus Christ, he said, Lord, he didn't say nothing else. He said, what will you have me do? And the Lord said, I'm going to show you, man. I'm going to show you some things. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm done. I'll pray. Because of what that man did. One man, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, he wrote 14 New Testament books that lit that thing up. Amen. Peter knew it. James knew it. John knew it. Everyone of them knew it. Peter says it over there. He says, our brother Paul. Um, God took one man who was a killing Christians, and he wasn't your regular suit type person. He wasn't. The guy was a Pharisee of Pharisees, hated him, trying to do what God said to do, or he felt like God wanted him to do, and that was to take him to jail and kill him, families, everything. And one day the Lord knocked him down at Damascus, on the road to Damascus, and when he came face to face to Jesus Christ, his life changed and never was the same. Because of that man and the unity, because of him and a man that came to see him, brought him into the faith and Barnabas and a few others and the unity of that group back then 2,000 years later we're here tonight unity is important it's important and when people are not part of the body of Christ they try to do stuff that they try they don't do anything but they're, they're, what they end up doing is hurting it and they're really not hurting me or you they're hurting Jesus Christ brother we already hurt him enough 2,000 years ago we don't need to hurt him no more we're done we're done this is a good meeting this week Guess what? Tomorrow morning we got to work up and serve Jesus Christ. We're going to wake up serving. That's what it, you know, I'm going to tell you, you need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible all the way through this year. I'm, I'm on track to read it four times. The Lord told me to read it twice. This year I said, Lord, you told me to read it twice. I'm going to do it four times. I'm going to read it twice you told me, and I'm going to read it twice that I need to. He never told me to read it a second four times. I realized I need this more today than I did yesterday. That's me. That's me. Sam Gibbs says he reads it 10 times a year. I'll, I'll never get to 10 times. That's, I mean, I'll just sit at my desk all day long and read my Bible. That's all I do. 
But I'm telling you, brother, this thing is important to get it in you. It's important. You can't, it, you can't understate how important this is, overstate how important this is to get in you. Nothing else on this planet is that important is to, but to get this thing in you. And when you do, your life will change. Father, thank you for letting us come tonight. Thank you for letting us come this week. Uh, Lord, thank you for the men that came and preached to us. And Lord, I pray that you bless them. Uh, Lord, I know they're getting ready to head out and go to other places. Uh, but Lord, thank you for them taking the time to come by here this week and preach to us. Lord, but help us now. The, the year is starting. Thank you for letting us start a meeting uh, the, the first couple days of the year. And Lord, I pray that uh, not only us, but others would be here at the end of this year. Uh, Lord, if you don't come back this year sometime, help us to stay faithful to you. Uh, Lord, there's a bunch of men and women in here, and you can use them all, Lord. You use all of us. I just pray that you start uh, to answer the prayer. There's a lot of people on this altar tonight, uh, Lord, uh, uh, just turning themselves over to you. I just pray that you'd guide and direct them. Lord, you said you're not a respecter of any person. And Lord, I don't believe you are. What you did for us, you'll do for them. And Lord, uh, I just pray that you'd do it. And Lord, uh, I just want to thank you for the life you've given me. Uh, Lord, what a blessing it is. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And, and uh, I still tell you today, I think you, you got the wrong guy. I still think that uh, I'm a mess. And I told you on that back porch uh, 43 years ago, the Lord, that I was a mess. And you were getting a mess. And you would always have a mess. And, and Lord, you still got a mess. But Lord, boy, I'm sure glad you love me enough to take a mess. And keep me and hold me and love me and, and uh, have mercy on me and grace. Lord, to bless us as we go our separate ways tonight, just thank you for letting us be a church. And Lord, uh, letting it be a light for you in a dark and, and dismal world. And Lord, uh, bless us as we go our way. And we'll praise you and honor you in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.